2.99. Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Dad, visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. You know, the old saying is that God protects drunks and children, and there is not a better example of that than what happened yesterday morning. This story is just, it is amazing to me that no one is dead. If you haven't followed it, maybe you heard the initial story. There was a car, probably within about two miles from where I'm sitting now, on the freeway, right, I-43 northbound, um, in the, if you, if you've driven through that area, there's lots of construction now, there's construction everywhere. But what they're doing is they're, they're build, they're rebuilding the, this big bridge. And so what they're doing is they're routing traffic. So if you're going southbound, it's two lanes and it kind of veers off to the west. And if you're going northbound, it's two lanes and it kind of veers off to the right. And, and where would be normally the center, that's blocked off for road construction. And, and they're built, like I say, they're, they're rebuilding a bridge and they've got girders and They've got all this stuff that's going on. So you might have awakened yesterday to news of a full freeway closure in that area because there was a car that had driven on to the the girders. So in other words, instead of being in either the northbound lanes or the southbound lanes, it had somehow gone in the middle where there is the construction, and the car was now suspended and hanging from some of these like bridge girders that they had there. And I guess there was some more support, so it was never really in danger of falling through. But it's like, what? And of course, it was just a mess to go out and get this this car out. But as the late Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of, of the story. Apparently, 5.30 a.m., 5.30 in the morning, a guy gets on the freeway at National Avenue. So, I mean, if you're familiar with this area, I mean, you've got our Capitol Drive, which is about, I don't know, four, five, six miles north of the, the Marquette Interchange. And then you've got National Avenue, which is what, maybe a mile south of the Marquette Interchange. Somebody gets on the freeway going the wrong way. They are heading northbound in the southbound lane at 5.30 on a Sunday morning when there are, in fact, you know, cars out on the road. The wrong way driver is able to drive from National Avenue heading the wrong way, going northbound in the southbound lanes all the way through the Marquette Interchange, and then all the way north on I-43, and again, I, my guess is four, five, six miles, whatever that would be, until you get to Capitol Drive, and at that point in time, he just goes straight and again piles into the construction and gets the car stuck up there. But he drove six-plus miles the wrong way on the freeway at 5.30 in the morning. And I understand that's not necessarily 5.30 at night, but still, can you imagine if you're driving southbound on the freeway, you're going the right way, and all of a sudden you see some idiot coming the other way? Well, all's well that ends well, I guess. Nobody was hit. Nobody was injured. The person who drove their car 
um, onto the, the girders, was arrested for, as it turns out, what a surprise, drunk driving at 5.30 in the morning. But you sit there and you think, my gosh, you know, that saying is correct that God does protect drunks and children because he, he was way drunk, which, you know, how, how he was able to survive this rush and how he was able to not kill somebody that was coming the other way is just an absolute total miracle. I don't know how drunk he was yet, but um, hopefully... Hopefully, he is not going to be released anytime soon. He's been accused of driving while intoxicated, 28 years old. Again, somebody, it could have been a lot worse, and I guess the good news is that there, there wasn't anybody that was killed, and it was just an incredible inconvenience to people. But, man, I mean, you, you want to talk about just luck. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 a couple new postings since the weekend. And, by the way, I'm uh, going to be off for a couple days. We're leaving for our listener trip to Alaska tomorrow, pending the results of, since we have to go through Canada, Canada is kind of still COVID, very COVID conscious, and you have to get, you had, right the day before you leave, you have to get COVID tested, and I've done that this morning, assuming the results come back negative, I feel fine, um, I'm getting on the plane and all, but I will be posting a number of tweets, I'll be gone for the better part of a week, uh, but I will be posting several tweets, including, uh, we've got an election coming up, I'm not going to be back till the day after the election, but we've got an election coming up, so follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 there will be new postings. This is one of my favorite stories of the day. Now, I am a fan, or at least when I was growing up, I was a fan of Spam. All right? You know, you, you take it, you fry it, you have some eggs. That, that's okay. But I have to admit, it's probably been 30 or 40 years since I, I've had Spam. But I understand Spam is spam is popular. It's kind of, it's always been viewed as the alternative to, like, I don't know, breakfast meat. You don't want to get ham. You don't want to get bacon. You, you get Spam. You can put it in the cans. It lasts pretty much forever. You open the can up. You throw it in the frying pan, you know, and you, you, you've, you've got it. Put a couple eggs in. It, it works. So Spam has always been sort of like one of these sort of low-cost go-tos. Well, I've got a great story. In New York, I guess my caveat was you know that crime is out of control, and you know the Biden economy is bad when they are doing this. They are putting spam under lock and key. True story. You know, you're used to going up and just grabbing a couple cans of spam from, like, the the grocery store shelves. Well, nowadays in New York, all the spam cans are contained in these little locked plastic things, kind of like... Well, I don't know. You know, when you go to the drugstore and you've got to get the person to come and open up the key if you want to buy razor blades or something like that in some areas. Now in New York, that's the latest trend. If you want to buy spam, it is kept under lock and key together with sardines and some other stuff because it's being stolen so much and it's in such demand because of the the crummy economy that we have. So spam is now on lockdown due to crime and inflation. Huh. When does Joe Biden's term end? When we come back, is it justice? I will explain. We will discuss. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Here is the story. Uh, and you will remember that this it, it there's there was the Burger King kind of in the area around sort of Fond du Lac Avenue. And you will remember this story that uh, January 2nd, uh, the Burger King 5120 West Capitol Drive. And 
long story short, what happened was there was an armed robber going through the drive through window who attempted to climb through the drive through window to pull cash out of the till. A Burger King employee, guy who was in the store working at the time, saw an armed man trying to force his way through that drive through window. He grabbed a gun. This is the employee that he had, had a gun on the premises, and he shot at the person who was trying to come through the drive through window. Unfortunately, he shot and killed the Burger King employee, uh, a young young high school girl who was working at the window at the time. So she kind of got caught in the crossfire. She got shot. She was killed. Uh, just a, a horrible sort of story. And then the story got got weird because, at least according to authorities, now follow me on this if you haven't been paying attention to this story, the robbery was supposed to be a quote-unquote inside job. That is, one of the other people, another girl who worked at the Burger King, she and her father had come up with this idea that, here, we're, we're dad, you know, we'll arrange it so that you rob the drive through The girl who ended up getting shot, there, there's an argument about this. The authorities' view was that she was in on this, at least that's been the, the premise. So it was the other girl that worked at Burger King, her dad, and the girl that was working at the drive through window. The girl who was working at the drive through window who was shot, her family denies that. They, they say she didn't know anything uh, about this. She was not a party to this. And I guess that the facts will determine, you know, what happened one way or the other. But there's no question that the, the, the guy who fired the shot, the other Burger King worker, he, he was not in on this robbery. All he knows is that he sees this, this armed guy coming through, you know, coming through the, the window and, you know, again, with a gun. So under normal circumstances, it would clearly be a legitimate exercise of, of self-defense. He didn't know it was a staged robbery at, at all times. All right, here's, here's where it gets complicated. The shooter, and his name is Derek Ellis, the person who we would describe as the, I guess you could say, good Samaritan. He thinks he's trying to, to thwart the robbery, and inadvertently he, he shoots the, the, the co-worker. The good Samaritan, the shooter, he is a felon, and he is not allowed to possess a firearm. So he had that gun, apparently with the knowledge, a couple other people worked at Burger King, knew he had a gun, and I think probably knew that he wasn't supposed to have the gun. Um, he, despite the fact that he wasn't legally allowed to carry a gun, brought one to work because it's 52nd and Capitol. It's a high crime area. He worked um, late night closing shift, and he was he was afraid. He, he he brought it for his protection. He brought the gun for the protection of other people. So he wasn't allowed to have it. So he was wrong in that regard, and he committed a crime. But in some respects, you can argue that he had a noble purpose. I'm not arguing he should have done it. Felons are not supposed to have guns. But it's not like he's carrying, he's a felon carrying a gun with the idea that he's going to stick up a liquor store. He had it for protection 
on the premises because of the nature of the place where he worked. So anyhow, you've got the felon in possession. He uses the gun to defend himself and others, not realizing this is a staged robbery. And inadvertently, he shoots the, um, I think she was 17 years old, the, the young girl, 16 years old at the time, who, who's working at the drive through window, who may or may not have been involved as part of this planning and for the holdup. We, we don't know. So anyhow, the guy, felon in possession, he goes for sentencing at the end of last week on, on Friday. And this is a very, very difficult question for the judge to deal with because, like I say, he's not supposed to have the gun, period. He's in violation of the law for having the gun. But his purpose in having the gun was, I guess, a, a, no, a legitimate one at least. He, he's worried about self-defense. And his use of the gun, in this case, was a legitimate exercise of self-defense. He comes upon this armed robbery, and he's shooting because he's, again, trying to protect everybody else. He doesn't know it's a staged job. Long story short, the judge in this case decides not to send him to prison. Instead, puts him on probation for a period of five years with the first 12 months to be served in the House of Correction. So he he doesn't go to prison. He goes to the House of Correction. He's going to have to serve 12 months as a condition of his probation. Then he's going to be released into the the community in general. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Admittedly, this is a very, very strange case. Because most of the time when you have felons caught in possession of a firearm or they use the firearm, they're, they're doing it for a nefarious purpose. In this particular case, that wasn't what was going on here. Did the judge get it right? Let me ask you the Goldilocks question. Was this sentence too too light? Was the porridge too cool? Was it too heavy? Oh, my gosh, there's no way he should have been, you know, sentenced to 12 months in the House of Correction. Or was it just right? 855-616-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Jason in Sheboygan. Jason, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, My thought is I'm, I'm, when it comes to laws, I'm kind of a black and white kind of person, and a felon should never have a gun. I don't even care if he's doing something right. Um, I just talked to your screener, and I made this analogy. Um, if I'm sitting at home and I was out partying all day, and all of a sudden I see a fire three blocks away and I'm drunk, and I because I'm drinking, I, I don't call 911. I get in my truck and try to fly over to help the person when their house is on fire, and I hit somebody. No, even though my intentions were good, I shouldn't have been driving. This guy should never had a gun. I, I don't so, disagree with you, but, but okay, but so so he got put on probation, but he spends a year in the house of correction. What would you have done differently? Would you send him to prison for five years? I, I would have followed whatever procedure is for oh. a felon having a gun. Yeah. Well, okay. Thanks, I well, well, I mean, think there, there is no now. I I have argued in the past that that. that we, we do not take felon in possession of firearms charges anywhere near seriously enough. And I, I have argued that there should be mandatory minimum penalties that attach to it. But right now there aren't. So you, you have a lot of discretion. And I guess I, I look at this sentence and I actually think justice is I, I think justice is is done in this particular case, because I, I look at a lot of people out there who I think end up getting off getting getting a lot less than this guy got a year in, in essentially a year in confinement 
um, for doing a lot worse sort of stuff. And so I guess my take on this is I, I think the judge, this was a reasonable thing, balancing out the different needs. And But I don't disagree with you, Jason. The man in the first place should not have had the gun. That's, that's why we have these felon in possession of a firearm laws. It's why I would like to see the felon in possession firearm laws enforced more vigorously and also some degree of uniformity across the board, which, like I say, is why I think there should be mandatory minimum penalties across the board of saying, like, I, I don't know, whether it's three years or five years or whatever, so we say to felons, you cannot have guns. This, however, I guess is when, when you look at felon in possession of a firearm, people who get a lot less than this, in this particular case, at least the, the guy had, again, noble motives. He wasn't supposed to have the gun, and I'm not portraying him as, as a hero in this case. And then he fired from around the corner. There were a lot of problems with what he did, and he definitely needs to be held accountable. But I guess I look at this and I think, okay, he's going to be confined for a year. He's going to be on probation for, I believe, four years after that. So I, I think, all right, he will be, in fact, off the street. Um, Jeff, the court system is so inconsistent. My son is serving five years for a lesser crime. Milwaukee is slap on the wrist city. There is a degree of inconsistency about this. No question about it. Jeff, I think for once justice is served, technically the judge is giving him a good opportunity to think about guns and, in fact, his behavior. Jeff, I feel the judge in this case got it right. Yeah, I think in this case that's correct as well. This is the balancing act. And by the way, this is what the prosecution asked for. Well, that is certainly breaking news. Milwaukee Brewer All-Star Josh Hader. The reports are that he has been traded to the San Diego Padres. All right, so who did the Brewers get? And again, this hasn't been confirmed, but ESP, this is what ESPN is reporting. This is what The Athletic is reporting. This is what a number of other places are reporting. So who did the Brewers get in return for Josh Hader? They've got, um, from the Padres, they got left-handed closer Taylor Rogers, who, 29-year-old left-hander, who um, was just in the last two weeks, he was the Padres' closer. He was removed as the Padres' closer because he struggled. He's posted a 2.84 earned run average through June. That number has now jumped to 4.35. He's blown four of the last 10 save opportunities. So San Diego moved him out of the closer role because of performance. Uh, let's see. The report says they got left-handed pitching prospect Robert Gasser, who I believe is pitching in, in double-A ball. They got an outfielder named Estuary Ruiz, who I believe this is his first year in the big leagues and um, hasn't played a lot. And they have a right-hander, Denilson Lamette, who I have no clue who he is. Um, one of the things obviously operating here is that Josh Hader is scheduled to be a free agent after next year. So I think it was pretty apparent to a, a lot of people that when, when Josh Hader, when the club lost control of Josh Hader and he had the opportunity to be a free agent and no knock on Josh Hader, he was um, he, he was going to get really, really big money. Somebody is going to pay a large amount of money for him based on the success that he's had. And I think the Brewers had come to the conclusion that because of 
where they are in the market and money they've got invested in other players that we they were not going to be able to pay Josh Hader the kind of money that he's probably going to command when he becomes a free agent at the end of next year. So the decision was, okay, if we've got to move him, you know, when when can we move him and what can we get back for him? So three pitchers and an outfielder, but it's not like they got Manny Machado. It's not like they got Tatis. It's not like they got any of the mainline players from the San Diego Padres. But they, they did. They got four. They got four, three prospects, I would say, and they've got the Padres' left-handed closer, who, again, was, was bounced because he's been struggling over the last month or two. Now, in fairness to the Josh Hader, Josh Hader, who was lights out up until... I don't know, a little bit before the All-Star break, kind of kind of lost it big time um, as well. All right, let, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I admit that I thought I am surprised because the, the Brewers are in a win-now mode. They're pretty much always in a, a win-now mode. And unless they figure that Josh Hader's lost it unless they figure that some of these players are really going to be in able to come in and step up i guess the question is does this trade make them more likely to get to the world series this year 855-616-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line and and by the way just i i I just i i don't i've met josh Hader on a couple occasions we used to be in the dugout on opening day and do interviews and i still remember like the first year he was here and the second year he was here we, we did interviews nicest young man in the world i mean really a nice a polite guy he's the kind of guy that you know you really you really want to root for i wonder is this baseball is this business is there something that the brewers see in one of these prospects that they think are going to be able to help immediately have the brewers made the calculation that the other relievers they have um boxberger and devin williams and you put them together with this taylor rogers guy that they're getting is that going to be enough to make up for josh Hader? 855-616-1620 what do you think about this deal and the reports are that it is a done deal if you are just tuning in the breaking news is that in advance of tomorrow's trading deadline the brewers have traded now most people thought that the brewers were going to be in the acquiring mood that that maybe some big name player would be coming to milwaukee as has happened in the past well the truth is it's exactly the opposite at least right now josh Hader, who many of you as the premier closer in Major League Baseball, who was scheduled to be a free agent at the end of next year. He's been traded to the San Diego Padres for the Padres' 29-year-old reliever who was just demoted from his relief role and one or two prospects and sort of a middle-of-the-road, I guess, starting pitcher. That's who Lamed is. I think this comes as a surprise to some people, not necessarily that they traded Hader, but that there wasn't some big name coming back in return. 855-616-1620. Let's start with David and Mequon. David, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was shocked when you first reported it, and I'm disappointed. Um, especially, uh, to your point, I thought they were going to acquire somebody, especially you know, another bat in the lineup. Um, I don't see how this improves the Brewers' chance, chances at all uh, right now, and I think that's a huge mistake from the standpoint that 
They could have waited to trade uh, Josh, you know, after the season was over with, and still get something for him. He'll get a lot for him, probably. Yeah, go that direction. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I question as to what Mark Antanasio is doing here because you know he's he has not he's been kind of frugal to some degree, and other times he's not frugal, and I'm not understanding the mode right now, especially with the pitching staff that we have, not to take any away from Devin Williams, but, you know, if it isn't broken, you know, uh, why are you, you know, fixing it and putting him into a closer road? And, you know, this, this other picture that we're getting from the Padres, it sounds like he has kind of the same uh, situation that Josh Hader has had recently, but, you know, worst comes to worst, like you could have just flipped Hader as a uh, middle reliever and then have maybe Williams as a closer if that were to continue, but now they won't have that option whatsoever. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, it's true. Okay, here, here's the text I have. Jeff, I grew up in San Diego. I'm still a Padres fan, but I've adopted the Brewers since moving here. Uh, Lamette, that's the, the the fourth person, good mid-rotation starter. I think he's better than Hauser and Lauer. Ruiz is a blazing, is blazing fast uh, outfielder for the defense. Gasser is a left-handed starter, just drafted from college last year, but moving up the minors fast. Rogers has a lot of upside. If Brewers pitching Wizards can fix what went sideways, I like it from both sides. I might, you might see Ruiz stealing 50 bases a year in a couple of years. Which I, I guess is fine. It, I'm not sure what it does, what it does for the team now. Understanding though that the Brewers at some point in time were going to move Josh Hader. I guess that the question is: Is this the time to do it? And does it make the team, at least in the short run, stronger or weaker? Now, obviously, they believe that they can fix whatever's wrong with the closer that they're getting from San Diego. They also believe that Devin Williams and Brad Boxberger, I think, are willing to and able to step up and, and occupy some of those positions. And, you know, who who knows what's what's going on with Hayter? Like I say, lights out through June. But historically, yeah, a lot of times you'll see situations where when relievers start to lose it, they, they start to lose it. Um, I know that's not particularly profound, but it, it's true. Let's talk to uh, Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm surprised. Um, I am surprised they made this deal, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so am I. You know, it would have been nice to hear Grisham's name in the transaction because I heard, you know, read that they were looking at Gallo from New York. And why not solve the center field issue right there? That would have been. Maybe he's not available, probably not. But I do trust Stearns' judgment. And, you know, if you look at when haters started going south, it seems to me it was right after his family had the baby. You know, that mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he's getting, you know, maybe his wife is just like, you well, know, I'm tired of you going to having to play this game every single day. You need to be a family man, too. I well, or I see, or it could have just been distracted. I mean, from what everybody was saying, it was a somewhat difficult pregnancy, and so that's probably wearing on your mind. I, I could, you know, it's, you know, they, these guys are human, you know, and uh, the same stuff that bothers exactly. all the rest of us bothers them. So, do you think it was a good deal or a bad deal? Well, I guess only time will tell, and we got to trust Stearns' judgment, you know, but I kind of agree, too, with the other guy, you know, why solve a problem that doesn't seem to be out of hand right now, but I don't know, maybe Rogers can, Mr. Rogers will be the seventh inning guy and then push, uh, you know, push uh, and uh, Williams back to the eighth and Williams to the ninth and hope it works that way. And at least still, you've got a, a closer lefty in Rogers too. Yep. So, 
You're trading a lefty closer for a younger lefty closer. That's going to cost the team less and not be a financial burden next year. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, there, obviously, there is there is that factor. Now, a number of people are, are texting, and they do make the, the larger point, and I, I don't know any way around it. This, it is part of the problem with Major League Baseball that – there was a, you know, I know Robin Yount was on our air earlier this morning. You know, Robin Yount is the rarest of commodities, somebody who had a lengthy career and played all with one team. And, and again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not complaining about the baseball structure, but when I was a kid growing up, that, that was kind of the deal. You know, you, you had, you had these players that they would come up through the minor leagues. They would play for a team, and then the successful players, they'd play 10, 12, 15 years for the same team, and you grew up rooting for them. Now, I, I get what's going on, and I'm not going arguing you go back to the old days, but this is one of the, the problems that you have nowadays where everybody, you, you root for the player. Oh, but, but in the case of the Brewers, I, I think the, the economic realities were they weren't going to be able to keep Josh Hader. They, they just flat out weren't going to do it. And I don't fault him. I mean, you know, baseball players, your careers are only so long. You know, all you know is all it takes is one pitch and you throw out your elbow and then, you know, you're, you're, you're done. So, I mean, I don't fault players for getting as much money as they possibly can. That, that's just human nature. So you, you have this situation where you, you have, teams that develop players and then make the decision that they just can't afford to keep them, and then they end up moving on. And it's tough on the fans. Let's talk to Bob in New Berlin. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Oh, yeah. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, uh, I guess I'm not totally surprised, but yet when I heard the news just a few minutes ago, I, I you know, I couldn't help but think, you got to be kidding me. You know, there were rumors that the Brewers were shopping Josh Hader around. And I guess if you don't move him now, you know, you either have to shop him later or you got to resign him. And then you're, and then you're into the contract stuff and the big money that, that they expect that he would get. I, I got to believe, you know, and only time will tell, you know, only time will tell how good this, this deal really was right but anyway in in the interim uh i gotta believe that the brewers thought that what they could get now for him is was in the best interest of the brewers oh sure and and the immediate effect you know the you know the immediate effect i guess the thing that i think about is what effect does this have in the clubhouse right now Mm -hmm. you know what what are other players thinking you know and and how do they adjust how do they adjust to it? Yeah, no, I, you're, you're, I mean, thanks. How does this affect chemistry and, and things of the like? Do they perceive this making them a better team or, or a weaker team? You know, and a number of people, I'm getting the text, in, in Stearns we trust. And by the way, he, David Stearns is, is a great general manager. There, there's no question about it. At the same time, he's not a perfect general manager. I mean, remember a couple of years ago, you had the deal that brought Jonathan, what was it, Scopes to Milwaukee, and, and he was awful. Um, so, and, and by the way, Stearns will be the first to tell you that there's you, you remember the good trades oh this was this deal and this where this worked out and you kind of forget all the the bad deals that are out there obviously a lot of thought went into this and a number of people are pointing out that this might not be the only shoe to drop that there might be something else down down the line because the trading deadline is tomorrow and i think a lot of people still would, would believe that the brewers probably could use one more I don't know, big bat, a reliable hitter or whatever, even though their offense has been a lot better over the course of the last nine games or so since the All-Star break. But this this is, it's definitely, 
It's definitely surprising. James on the south side. James, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Well, I said to uh, Greg Matzik and a bunch of other people that it was going to happen, and they said, no, no, no. I said that a while back, and they all said, nah, you're gonna, we're going to not. But I think the thing is, sometimes, like we've done in the past, uh, some of these players give them a uh, new hope and everything else. I think maybe the change will spark a, a hater out there, and, and this uh, picture that we're getting from uh, San Diego here, and, uh, and you know, sometimes uh, that happens in uh, all of a sudden, you're, 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 you're moving right along, you're moving up instead of down, you know? Well, and everything else with prospects and the whole thing here, Jeff, uh, maybe, maybe you come on back and uh, the Brewers uh, will have, maybe, like I said, like you just said, maybe you'll make another trade, and all of a sudden the Brewers, when you come on back, are, <laughs> are, start, are getting a bigger lead on uh, the Cardinals yeah. there, uh, pushing everybody back in the, uh, head, uh, in the taillights there. And, uh, well, we're gonna be, and James, gonna be we're going to be rooting for that. There, there, there's no question about it. Um, we're, we're going to be, you're certainly going to be rooting for it. Now, um, again, Hater, I think one of the things that's driving this is he qualifies for free agency after next um, season. He's in the midst of a disappointing year but only relative to his norms. Um, again, he's he's walking more, but a lot of that's recent, and you know he's given up some of those home runs, but a lot of that's recent. But still, I think many of us would describe him as the premier closer in baseball. Will, Will, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How's it going? Yeah, I feel like if they were going to get rid of him, they should have traded him to the American League. I don't understand why they're keeping him in the same league because you know at some point he's going to come back and he's just going to you know take it to the Brewers. <laughs> so like if if it's the that that three game series, um, the the kind of the new wild card thing, and it's the Brewers ending up playing the San Diego Padres, best of three. You don't want to see Josh Hader being the closer for the Padres, huh? You you know what's going to happen with that. I mean, they could have. I'm sure the Yankees would have uh, made a deal. Or some other team in the American. I just don't understand why they want to keep him in the same league. And I, I know why they can't pay him because they're giving the farm to Yellens. I mean, this, they're doing exactly what the Packers are there and Rodgers. I mean, this is exactly what the deal is. They don't have the money to pay him because one player is getting all the money. Right. Well, at the, I mean, thanks for calling. At, at the same time, I don't, I don't necessarily fault the Brewers. You, you have to make those decisions. And I, I don't. I'm just a huge Christian Yelich fan, and I'm glad to see him starting to perform a little bit better. But I, I, I didn't criticize the deal when they signed him to a long-term, essentially a lifetime contract, so I'm certainly not going to criticize it now, although I think everybody would agree he's underperformed on, on expectations. I guess the question with Hader is he's 28 now, so you control him for a year and a half. So what, what does that mean? He's like 30 years old at that time. He, he's 29 or, or 30 or 29 pushing 30, I don't know what his birthday is, you know, when he gets, he's eligible for free agency. So how, how much can a team like the Brewers invest in, in him? Do you, do you sign a long-term deal with somebody who's 30 years old or, or whatever? That's a tougher deal to, to make. Anyhow, um, I, I like David Stearns a lot. I think, and again, like I say, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you that, you know, he, he's, he's had more than his share of deals that have kind of gone sideways on him. But you remember, you, you remember the good deals. You remember the good signings and things like that. This, I, I think the surprising thing to me about this trade is that if the Brewers were going to put Josh Hader on the market, he's obviously their, their big name. You would have maybe thought that there was going to be a bigger name coming back. Than, than we got. But obviously, the four-for-one deal, 
the uh, brewers feel that that they got value of it and guess you, everybody's right time will tell but if these reports are accurate josh Hader no longer a brewer live from the annex wealth management studios this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So, Alex Crow, the fact that you are here today, even though I know you love your job, <laughs> tells me that you were not the guy who purchased the single ticket that won $1.337 billion in the Mega Millions jackpot. Unfortunately, I was not down in Illinois during that time period, so I, no, that, that wasn't me. That was not you. Well, I, the, the tip-off was you came to work today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no matter how much you love your job, I, I suspect if you win that kind of money, I, I, even if you're not quitting your job, you're probably taking a vacation day or something like for that. For sure. So that. Did you buy a ticket? Did you I, play? I bought one for the Wednesday drawing, and then when I didn't win, I just uh, didn't have time between running around to get one on before the Friday drawing. So I got in a little bit before it got to a billion. Once it got to a billion, I did not jump back in. Well, I was saying this last week. I'm, I'm always so amused when you have people who play when it's it's like, well, it's $750 million or it's a billion dollars. Of course, I'm going to play because then it's life-changing. But well, like when it's $100 million, it, it's not life-changing. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, really? I, I, I take my hat off to these folks because I'm thinking, you yeah, if I won $100 million and even if the cash payout was, I don't know, $60 million, mm-hmm. that would kind of be life-changing. I, I, play my, I pay the taxes and you still got $30 million left. Pretty good, you yeah. would think. The, the actual, the cash draw, if you... The, the numbers were revised upwards. So if you took it over the 29-year annuity, mm-hmm. which nobody does, yeah. um, $1.337 billion. If you just wanted cash, $780 million. Yeah, I would take the seven eighty million in cash. I don't know why you would do the annuity at that point. Just give me, give me, give me the millions, and I'll hire somebody who's going to manage that money. Well, right, you pay, you pay. You, you, okay, so you, <laughs> let's say, let's say it's a fifty percent haircut. So you pay three hundred ninety million. That's rounded up to four hundred million. That's still you pay your taxes and stuff. That still leaves you, you know, three hundred eighty million dollars in in pocket change. And you know, I think there's, you know, that's. That, that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of whiskey and a lot of you know a lot of houses and a lot of trips and stuff like that. Could have a lot of family members popping out of the woodwork with uh, three hundred eighty million dollars richer. Well, the bottom line is, you and I were both winners though, because unlike some people around here, we 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 at least have those two dollars still in our pocket. Because I, I just I, I I didn't I didn't buy it either. I'm just I'm sort of I'm. Look, I, I get, got the gambling gene in our family, but I admit I kind of stay away from these lotteries, which to me are just kind of <laughs> – I know somebody's got to win, but I just – when it's odds of one in 302 million, I'm like 300 times more likely to get attacked by a shark, and I don't go into the ocean. So, All right, Alex and I did not win, nor did my producer, Charlie. One final thought mm-hmm. on the the hater trade um just looking at the situation um hater one and four the reliever that they brought back journal sentinel is reporting he's um he's his contract ends this year so he's a free agent after this season he's making 7.3 million compared to haters 11 million dollar salary um and his his numbers are kind of shaky as well. Hader is one and four with a four point two ERA. Uh, Rogers is one and five with a four point three five ERA. So they're very kind of similar. It looks like they've been struggling a little bit this year economically. I think 
part of this was, I think the Brewers, uh, Hader was due to make like $15 million, they figured, next year and a lot more a couple years after that. And I just, I think, came to the conclusion that they couldn't pay him and maybe it wasn't worth paying him. So They've also got that big old contract that uh, they still have over their heads for how many years to come for Christian Yelich. So you've got X amount of money tied up there. Maybe you don't have the amount of money to pay a, a Josh Hader or something like that. For a closer, right. Because keep in mind, too, they've also, you've got Corbin Burns, you've got Brandon Woodruff, you've got a number of these other players who are coming up that you'd like to make parts of the team for the foreseeable future. So you gotta, you do have to do that, that balancing. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. And Josh Hader probably still due for a big payday regardless of oh, where yeah. he's going to be in the next couple of years. So he'll still be, uh, he'll be just fine there living, oh. living out west. Oh, in San no. Diego. Yeah. You're, you're not going to have to have any. T- well, and again, he's he's a free agent. If he's not happy in San Diego, well, he'll he'll have a chance to go to the highest bidder. And uh, he's a nice guy. I, I just, I've met him a couple times, and just I, I remember the first interview, he he kept calling me sir. I, I kind of felt like I, I kept saying, just, Josh, <laughs> just just call me Jeff. No, Mister Wagner, yes, sir. Yes. And he was just he just he was he struck me as a genuinely nice guy. So I'm I, I wish him nothing but the best. Just absolutely nothing but the best. And I certainly wish the Brewers nothing but the best. And of course, this happens on a day when the Brewers aren't playing today, so we won't have any of that uh, Brewers pregame or stuff pouring into it. But we do have uh, tomorrow morning on Wisconsin's Morning News, Craig Council will be jumping on, so I'm sure they'll be probing him about that, and then we'll get the Brewers later on tomorrow. It sounds like a plan. When we come back, do we want to get in a shooting war because of Nancy Pelosi? I ask that question. I will explain. We will discuss. What is Joe Biden doing? And, and look, we ha- it's as if the world is not a dangerous enough place. You, you've got the crazy guy in North Korea. You've got Vladimir Putin and the evil empire, which has declared war on Ukraine. You've got the shooting war there, which is still very, very much up in the air. You've got right now the Western coalition, which is united and, and is helping Ukraine fight back. But it is a, from a, from a, just a, a human standpoint is a catastrophe of epic proportions. You've got millions of people who have been displaced. You've got this war that is going on. Putin's latest step is he's going to try to have a polls to he's going to have elections to annex parts of the land that he's already occupied. I mean, it, it's looking like you're going to we're in for a long, long haul as this this war continues. It's a war of aggression that Putin started that, by the way, I think it's fair to question whether he would have done this if Trump was still the president. I understand Trump's got all sorts of problems and different issues, but I don't know that Vladimir Putin would have done this if Donald Trump had been president. So you've got this going on. You've got a number of other issues across the world. And into this now parachutes Nancy Pelosi. China and the U.S. have had a a delicate dance for a number of years. And if you want to look at one of the biggest issues that creates controversy for the U.S. and China, it is the U.S.'s recognition of, of Taiwan as an independent country. For years, now Taiwan, of course, is a self governing island. China has always claimed that Taiwan is part of its territory. And this has always been an extremely sensitive issue because China has for decades 
threaten to to take Taiwan back. And in a military sense, if Taiwan wants to take, if China wants to take Taiwan back, they're going to be able to do it. You know, you had the famous Joe Biden gaffe earlier this year, where he at least implied that the United States would get into a shooting war if China attempted to move against Taiwan. He then quickly, you know, walked that back. But the Taiwan question remains just just a huge issue, and I don't know how you ultimately solve it. I do know, though, that throwing salt into a wound is not a good way to be. So into this now parachutes Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is on a, a trip to Asia, and she went to Singapore, and she's going to other places. The Biden administration had discouraged her from going to going to Taiwan and they'd been saying for the several weeks since this trip was announced that the military didn't want her to go there um she would be if she went there would be the most senior US official to visit Taiwan since 1997 so this is at a time where you've got all these different hotspots in the world and you've got the U.S. that is trying to encourage China to, you know, help isolate Russia for what's going on in Ukraine and all that sort of stuff. Having, having the Speaker of the House of Representatives in 2022 go to Taiwan would be throwing salt into the wound. That's why the military had discouraged her from doing this. The Biden administration had discouraged her from doing this, but acknowledged, they said, well, you know, that's an independent of, uh, branch of government. We can't tell her no. To which my response would be, well, Mr. President, if you think that this is going to be unnecessarily confrontational, which it's going to be, if you think that this trip is going to make your job of trying to keep a lid on China with regard to all these other things, that this is going to be a provocation that's going to make your job a lot tougher. You mean to tell me that you don't have the ability to call up the Democrat Speaker of the House and say, Nancy, this is not the time to go to Taiwan. You're going to make my job a lot more difficult on all these different levels I understand it's going to be, you know, a, a statement that you're going to make, but you make life a lot more difficult for me at a time when I, I've got all these other fires that I am trying to put out internationally. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And the reports on both the Wall Street Journal and CNN is despite cautionary remarks from China, Despite the U.S. military discouraging her from going there, despite the fact that Joe Biden, or at least the Biden administration, had indicated that they would prefer she not go, she's definitely coming. Um, and you know that this is going to make everybody's life a lot more difficult. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a situation where I just... To, to me, it's another weakness of the Biden administration that you've got the Democratic Speaker of the House. You don't want her to go. The military doesn't want her to go. And yet she's going to do it on her own. I don't see what this accomplishes. I understand China is a hot potato. But to me, this is rubbing salt into a wound. And 
All you're going to do, I think, is make situations worse at a time where we really need to calm troubled waters. 855-616-1620. And this has nothing to do with my position on Taiwan and whether we want to get into a shooting war over there or whatever. It's why does Pelosi have to be there? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand that as Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi gets to go where she wants to go. But when you have the U.S. military and the Biden administration discouraging you from going to Taiwan because we are in a sensitive stage here, we've got all these other international fires that Biden is trying to tamp down, including a war in Ukraine involving Russia, and we're trying to get China to, I don't know, at least not support Russia in this regard. To have the Speaker of the House gratuitously decide that she is going to fly into Taiwan, to me, is an unnecessarily provocative sort of situation. It also, to me, demonstrates the impotence, again, of Joe Biden, because he's unable, you know, he's unable to simply tell her, don't do this. And I, I can't, for the life of me, believe that this public reports that the Biden administration has been discouraging her from going. I mean, it's not like you've got the speaker who's not of your party. But you would think that the president of the United States would be able to say, Nancy, we we just don't think this is a good thing at this time, and that she would then listen. And by the way, a couple of our texters are making this point. What is the purpose of having a secretary of state? I mean, if the Biden administration wants to interact, say, with the government of Taiwan, all right, isn't that the role of the secretary of state to do this sort of stuff? 855-616-1620. Jeff, Nancy Pelosi has such an ego. She thinks she's running the country. Um, you know, she's also slipping mentally along with Biden. What a, a mess. Jeff, um, she has to go now, but she shouldn't have announced the trip beforehand. It just gave China time to ramp up the states. Like it or not, we're already at war with China. No, we're we're not in a shooting war with China, and I'm still hoping that we can avoid it. Stephen Greenfield says, Jeff, it's scary. It illustrates that Biden isn't running the, the country. Well, I, I think there's certainly an element to that because, well, you know, you're in a situation where if you're the president, don't you want the foreign policy to be coming through you? Let's talk to Kathy in Whitefish Bay. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Kathy. What do you think? So I, I had I had similar to what some of your other um, folks who texted in. I, I think there should be a collective strategy. And regardless of the party that she's in and the president, uh, they they need to say, this is the strategy. We're following it. If it was a business, there is absolutely no way that somebody could go forward and take their own agenda without having some goal in mind and and authorization if you will yeah right i understand it's not a perfect analogy but if the chairman of the board says to a head of one of the i don't know one of the subsidiary companies you know under this company umbrella you know jeff i i don't think we've got all this stuff going on i don't think it's a good idea for you to make a gratuitous visit to, to so-and-so you're going to follow that those instructions and i understand they're separate branches of government but still biden is a democrat right. Nancy Pelosi is a Democrat, and more importantly, Biden is the commander-in-chief, 
And if they think it's a bad idea, to me, that should be enough to say, okay, I'm going to go on the rest of my mission. I'm going to meet with all these people, but I'm not going to antagonize China by flying into Taipei. Right. I mean, you're right. He's not his her direct boss, if you will. But um, certainly if she is looking out for the best interests of the whole, I, I don't know what she's doing going solo on this kind of a thing. Yeah, I get right. Th- thanks for right. Exactly. And, and this this has I want to be real clear here. Uh, this has I this has nothing to do with with how you ultimately handle the Taiwan China problem other than I, I think. It's very, very clear that – can I see a show of hands? Does anybody want to get into a shooting war with with Red China over Taiwan? Huh? Don't see too many hands going up. Don't you think we have enough problems going on right now with Ukraine and Russia and things like that? So the idea of, of being unnecessarily provocative – and maybe it's not going to make any difference. And, and maybe at the end of the day it, – it, but it, it, to me, it's another one of these slights that is out there. But the bigger point is you're the president of the United States, Joe Biden, and the Speaker of the House, who is from your party, if you want her to go, then you should publicly come out and say, yes, she is going with our blessing. We are encouraging this. We're going to make it a visit. But if you don't want to go, and all the signals have been they don't want her to go, you should come out and say you don't want her to go, and she should listen to you, except I guess nobody listens to Biden anymore. WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin's radio station is moving to the avenue. In the heart of downtown Milwaukee, follow our progress all summer long as we embark on a journey to our new home. The avenue is vibrant, exciting, plus you'll be able to come by and see us. Yeah, I'm going to be the boy in a bubble down there. WTMJ's move to the avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interiors, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. Matter of fact, I was part of a podcast uh, this morning on some of us who were involved, some of us who were around when GKB, Good Karma Broadcasting, acquired uh, WTMJ from Scripps Broadcasting. And, you know, we were talking about some of the changes, and I think everybody was reacting incredibly popular uh, in a positive way. And one of the questions they asked me was, okay, well, what do, you, what do you think about the move to the Avenue? And when we say the Avenue, for people who might not be familiar, that's the former Grand Avenue Mall. It is, it, it is very, very different. You know, when Grand Avenue was built in the 1980s, what it was was essentially a, a retail facility. Now there's a little bit of retail and there's a big food hall and stuff, but it's it's much different. There's residential and there's a lot of offices and things like that. So it's it's very, very different. And there's no question it's it's vibrant and it's very, very well done. And so the question was, well, Jeff, this is at least at WTMJ, this is the only radio station you've worked at. Now you're gonna feel after twenty four years of leaving. And I said, Well, I'm 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 somewhat nostalgic for this building, but there's no question in my mind that this is the right move for for the company. Our Radio City building was um, undersized for what the what Good Karma Broadcast needed, and the building is tired and it's old, and it, it's just exciting to make that move. There, there's no question about it. I mean, personally, my commute doubles and all, but I I think it's something that you're going to be able to get used to. And and again, it's going to be nice to work in this like brand spanking new facility. Again, if you happen to be downtown and you're walking through the food hall, we're on on one end. I've seen our studios, and people will be able to at least walk past and, and say hi if you want to do that. It's it's not. 
It's not the same setup, really, that we have like at State Fair, which, by the way, starts on Thursday, where you can come out, you can visit us, and I always make a point of trying to come out and say hi. It's a little bit of a different setup, but I think we're very enthusiastic about it. And the timing on our move, I know a number of people continue to ask that, our office staff is scheduled to be out of here by the, the middle of this month. This is now August 1st. So in the next two weeks or so, I think most of the, all of the office staff is planning to be gone. What they call the content people, the, the on-air people, we're move, our move is scheduled for uh, September 26th will be the first day of broadcasting. And, and I think that's a pretty rock-hard deadline because – well, just for a variety of reasons, but September 26th is when our first broadcast from the Avenue will occur. As a quick reminder, State Fair, always one of our favorite times of year. State Fair starts on Thursday, and if you're coming out, and if you're out and about at State Fair, stop by what we call the Fishbowl. We will be broadcasting live. Now, I'm not going to be there till next week, next week, Thursday and Friday, because like I've been saying, I, I leave on my listener trip to Alaska tomorrow, assuming I passed the COVID test this morning. Morning, you have to take a COVID test, but assuming that I do not have COVID, uh, which I don't think I do, um, I'll be gone, but I will be back for the last couple of days of the fair, but we'll have uh, a number of our personalities who will be out there, so same as usual, stop by the State Fair booth and be sure to say hello. Over the weekend, two, two celebrity passings from two uh, different walks of life. First of all, Nichelle Nichols, who was known... Um, one of those things where you you play a character and it it doesn't matter all the things that that you do in the rest of your life, you're you're going to be identified with that character. And Nichelle Nichols was Lieutenant Uhuru on Star Trek uh, for the three years that the original Star Trek ran. And then, you know, she reprised that role through many, many, many of the various Star Trek movies. She passed away at the age of 89. She was a, a trend setter in so many ways. There was one Star Trek episode, of course, where Captain Kirk, played by William Shatner and um, Nichelle Nichols, they, they, they kissed. And it was generally viewed as the first interracial kiss on, on television. And it, it was very controversial at the time. Thankfully, we've, we've ended up getting past that. At one point in time, the story goes that she was, she'd grown kind of frustrated in, in her role and she thought it was very, very limited. And she was talking about quitting. And apparently, Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, intervened and said, look, you know, you, it, it is important for a, a black woman to have this kind of high profile role on this type of TV show. And it's important for you to stay and to do it. And, um, you know, she, she she did and um so I, I think clearly this was somebody who then was able to use the fame that she had acquired through the, this silly little tv show and she was able to use it to to do all sorts of good causes and so nichelle nichols passing away at the age of 89 the other story from the weekend is of passing from the world of sports and you probably all heard this by now bill russell who was just transformative when it came to pro basketball, passed away at the age of of 88. There are many who would argue that not just for his time, but for for all time, Bill Russell was the the greatest center to to ever play the game. And I understand some people might say, no, it was Will Chamberlain. Some people might say it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But but uh, Bill Russell is certainly right 
up there. He led the Boston Celtics to 11 NBA championships, and the final two were when he became the first black head coach in major American sports. Um, and again, he was... He was a trailblazer when it came to civil rights. And if you listen to a lot of the stories that Bill Russell told, you can really understand how difficult it was for a black man, even a, even a, a very, very well-recognized and accomplished black athlete, how difficult it was for him. He would tell stories about you know, the, the segregated South and how difficult it was and the racism that he experienced and the racism he had to fight when he went to Boston and all. And through it all... He, he he rose above it and became a great spokesman for the civil rights movement, accomplished just amazing things. So he's one of these people who was transformative on the court and was transformative off the court. Just truly a, a great man who passes away at the age of 88. He will be missed. Just a quick reminder, the primary election, which has lost a little bit of its luster, perhaps, with all the Democratic Senate candidates capitulating, with the exception of Mandela Barnes, the the election is a week from tomorrow. Uh, Early voting is open now. matter of fact, I voted last week, I, I think, on Tuesday. So you have the opportunity to do that. If you have requested absentee ballots, you want to get them in. The election is, of course, next Tuesday. The single most contested election at this point in time, there, there were there, there were two. And, and I mean, and I understand I'm not trying to take away from the down ballot races. I think there's eight Republicans running for the lieutenant governor spot. There's a contested attorney general position on the Republican side between the district attorney from Fond du Lac and Adam Jarko. So there's there's all sorts of different races. But probably now the highest profile competitive race that's left is the race between former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish and Fond du Lac uh, businessman Tim Michaels. And you're seeing all sorts of, of pro-candidate advertising. You're seeing all sorts of negative candidate advertising. You're seeing attack ads that are being run by political action committees that support one of the two candidates. It's interesting. It hasn't become clear, but there, there may there may be even – this is the, the latest Democratic playbook. You have Democrats who, at least in some states, have been investing money in, in attacking one of the two candidates, the candidates that they think are – and the strategy has been let's try to identify the candidate that we think is the stronger candidate, and then let's try to undermine that candidate. And there's there's just a couple ads that I've seen. They're all from these sort of vague groups. There's a couple ads that I've seen that make me wonder – you know, are, are these really Democrats trying to, uh, again, pick who they want to win? I think the race between Rebecca Clayfish and Tim Michaels is going to be extremely close. I, I think it's right now it is certainly too close to call. I know in some of the coverage it says, well, Michael's leading in the in the polls. Well, that's an old Marquette University Law School poll that had them like a 27-26, and that was from a long time ago. I, I think the dynamic is different now, but I don't know who's ahead. And I think regardless of who wins – they're, they'll both be strong candidates to run against Tony Evers, but you need to get out and you need to, to go out and vote. The other race that was generating a lot of attention up until last week was the race to take on 
Ron Johnson, who will be the Republican nominee for a third term in the U.S. Senate. And it was really, it was four candidates. It was Outagamie County Executive Tom Nelson, who's way, way out to the left. And it was Alex Lazary, the son of one of the Milwaukee Bucks owners, who's been running since February of 2021 and dumped well over $12 million of his own money into the race. He was running. Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer, who dumped over $4 million of family money into the race. And all three of those, in the space of just a couple days, bailed and have thrown their support behind Mandela Barnes. So even though those other three remain on the ballot, they they are not running. They've effectively suspended their campaigns. So the Democrats have decided to go with Mandela Barnes against Ron Johnson. This, I've said this before, it's going to set up, I think, one of the most fascinating races in the country because so far Mandela Barnes has kind of gotten a pass. There there hasn't been a lot of scrutiny, and I understand that Ron Johnson is controversial for some things, but I don't know that it would have been possible to find a more left-wing fringe candidate for the Democrats to nominate than Mandela Barnes. He's way to the left of Joe Biden, way, way, way to the left of Joe Biden. And these are some of the issues that are going to come out. In 2016, he was a state legislator. He introduced legislation to, get this, eliminate monetary bail as a condition of release for a defendant charged with a crime. No more monetary bail. He said that um, what instead he would require, you would have to be released. You would have to be released before trial unless a court could find by clear and convincing evidence that the defendant would cause serious bodily harm to a member of the community. Oh, you mean, really? I mean, how do you make that determination? And then also no monetary bail. So, okay, nobody has to put up their house. Nobody watching the person when they flee. Under the bill, courts could not use the nature, number, and gravity of the crime in question as the reason to keep people behind bars. So you have somebody who's, I don't know, guilty of, you know, murdering three people. Kill your wife, walks in, kills his wife, and kills, I don't know, in a crime of passion. Well, we're going to, we're going to let him loose on, on bond because there's no indication he's going to do it again. That is how far out there Mandela Barnes is. I'm looking at a picture of him right now wearing a sweatshirt that says, abolish ice. ICE is, of course, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Service. Okay, abolish, abolish ICE. I mean, this is this is open borders, and does Wisconsin really want that? And I'm not even getting to the defund the police movement that he was a big advocate of. And those are just the things that that come to mind once you start looking at the Green New Deal, and once you start looking at his tax proposals and what that would do with manufacturing. I'm just telling you, the Democrats have nominated or are in the process of nominating the most far left-wing candidate who might be running for Senate in the entire country. And, you know, how is the election going to turn out? I, I don't know. But it's going to be a very, very stark choice. If least, at least if the Democrats had nominated Lazary or maybe Sarah Godlewski, you would have had an argument that there might be some moderation there, no moderation at all with Mandela Barnes. What will Wisconsin decide? We'll find out in November.
And the big sports news, of course, from today is that the Brewers are trading Josh Hader to San Diego, and it's a move that I guess time will tell how it works out. They're, they're not getting any big names back, and you do wonder how this plays in the clubhouse. If you have a team that's supposedly in it to win it, all of a sudden you, you take your all-star closer and you trade him. You, you can make... Uh, you can make a lot of arguments that it, it makes economic sense for the Brewers to do what they do. They did. They're, they're not. They weren't going to be able to keep him after a year and a half. A year and a half from now, when he's eligible for free agency, and maybe they felt that given his drop off in performance, he, he wasn't worth the eleven million dollars he was commanding now, or the probably fifteen million dollars he would command next year, and then the astronomical salary. So time will will tell on that. And of course, the trade deadline isn't until tomorrow so there's a lot of people still thinking that maybe there's another shoe that drops and that maybe there will be a big name player coming to milwaukee to help solidify them for the playoff run it's um as a brewers fan you just want to see them go into this this last stretch with the the best possible team they can have but the other story from the world of sports involves this deshaun watson if you haven't been following this the the cleveland browns traded for deshaun watson who by all stretch of the imagination is a horrible horrible human being and and i i I say that without fear of contradiction right now um he's over two dozen women have filed civil lawsuits accusing him of sexual misconduct and apparently the the allegations you've probably heard them before he would um i don't know he would hire masseuses and things like that and then he would behave in an inappropriate fashion with and we don't know to go through the the details but um at this point in time he ended up settling and ended up paying off a large number of these these women to make them go away. As a result, you know they in most cases didn't want to cooperate with law enforcement. So there's been no criminal charges that have been issued against him. But still, there's no question the guy is a major league sleaze. He's just a major league sleaze. The NFL wanted to suspend him for at least a year because of his, his misconduct. His uh, f- the, the union fought this, and an arbitrator came out with a ruling today saying six games. They can still appeal that, but th- there is weight that goes to the arbitrator's opinion. Cleveland, f- Cleveland Browns are probably jumping up and down in glee that he only got suspended for six games. But from the perspective of, of what sort of message you send to fans outside of Cleveland by only spending this guy for six games for engaging in the behavior that he clearly engaged in with a number of women doesn't send a very good message at all. Lots more coming up. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, I do, I love social media and it's it, it just funny with the Josh Hader trade to, to read some of the stuff that's up there. And, and, and people are, are just all over the, this. I mean, what's different about this deal is normally normally the brewers are out there trying to make a splash. And normally it's the, the brewers that are bringing in the, the, the CC Sabathia. It's the brewers that are bringing in the Eduardo Escobar. It's the brewers that are bringing in the, the bigger name player in exchange for, for prospects. In this case, you've got the flip side. You've got the brewers trading arguably their, their most high profile player or one of the top two or three and bringing in people who aren't 
at least individually, as accomplished as Josh Hader. And everybody's got different opinions on it. To me, I think this is one where time will tell. The Brewers clearly weren't in a position where they could afford to keep Josh Hader certainly beyond when when his when their control of him expired after a year and a half they weren't going to be able to pay him 20 million dollars or whatever um he's making 11 million dollars this year the estimates are he would make 11 million dollars 15 million in arbitration next year and i think the brewers probably found the thought that that was a little bit rich for their their blood and that this was an opportunity to do the best they could which i think comp Complicated the matter is that that haters in a slump right now, and with relievers you, you never know. Sometimes it's just a blip, but sometimes you know relievers can lose it and they can lose it really quickly. And I'm, my understanding is that that his value, at least at, in the league, has gone down a little bit because of what's been happening over the course of the last month. Now that might not be fair to Hater, and like I say I think he's a great guy, and I hope he goes on and continues to have an extremely successful career. As long as he's not pitching against the Brewers, um, but that's, but the, you know that's kind of the nature of this, and, and time will tell if the trade works out. But this is different than the way the Brewers have proceeded in the past, where I think people would say it, it's it's subtraction as opposed to addition, at least not addition of the the big player. And time will tell if it works out. You also have to wonder how this plays out in a clubhouse. If there's not another move that comes on, because you've got players who presumably they're, they're being told, hey, you're competing for the Central Division, Division Championship. We want you to win the World Series. Again, this year, there, there's some really good teams out there that the Brewers would have to go through, including the New York Mets and the Los Angeles Dodgers. But once you get into these playoffs and short series, anything can happen. So you do wonder in the clubhouse where they say, okay, well, what's management doing here? They're, they're trading our all-star, all-world closer for – players who aren't all-star all-world they might be good they might be sufficient what you know what's going on here which again makes me wonder whether or not there might be something else in the works to send the message to the team that we really are we're in it to win it and it's just not an economic deal based on the fact that we're not going to be able to keep hater next year or two years from now all right let us completely and totally switch gears i was talking to someone the other day whose child very, very smart kid, is going into their senior year at high school. And I, I was asking the questions, well, do they want to go to college? Where do they want to go to college, et cetera, et cetera. And they were telling me some of the schools that the, that their, it was a daughter, that their daughter wanted to go to. And, you know, we were discussing, well, you know, how do you get into those, those different schools and what's it like now versus like when I was applying to school and all that. And one, my friend was telling me about how, well, you know, everybody's all about extracurriculars. And that's why, that's why their, their daughter is, is doing student council and they're doing all these charity volunteer activities and they're doing this and that and the other thing to try to, to build this resume. And, and my, my friend was saying, boy, I mean, the, the kid is just, she's got all this different stuff that's going on and, and some of the stuff she likes, but some of the stuff she likes better than other stuff. But she's doing all this to try to build the, this resume so she can apply to college. And I remember at the time thinking, well, that that's good, I, I guess, that you're building this resume. But is that from the development of an individual of, of a kid? Is that the best way to go? And it was really kind of funny that I was having this conversation because there, there's a piece in the New York Times over the weekend that caught my attention. That the headline is the best extracurricular may be an after-school 
job. Lots of this is how it starts. Lots of American teenagers need to work after school to help support their family. But there's a case to be made for those who don't need to work that they should get a job anyway. Conditions couldn't be more optimal. Unemployment close to a 50-year low has made the kinds of jobs well-suited to kids. No prior experience, minimum wage, part-time, more widely available. Yet fewer teenagers work nowadays than a generation ago. The share of teenagers in the workforce has ridden from a low of roughly a quarter in 2010 to about a third of older teenagers holding down a job of one kind or another since the pandemic. But when I was in high school in the late 1980s, this is their author, around half of 16 to 19-year-olds held jobs. Um, Gen X parents who grew up working after-school shifts at local drugstore often lament the fact that their own children haven't always had the same opportunities. Many instead favor an array of extracurricular activities, and that's the person I was talking to, that burnish their college applications, like student government and peer tutoring. This may be a mistake for parents and more concerned about college admissions than what happens after that. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I participated in a lot of after-school activities when I was in high school. And some, like being on the forensics team and being on the debate team, were invaluable. I mean, it set me on a course and helped me de- develop skills that helped me when I was practicing law and helped me to this day when I'm doing a radio show. But there was a lot of stuff that I did that... You know, it was just you did it to get it on the resume because you wanted to get into a particular school. The experience I had in working my junior and senior years, for example, like during the school year in the summer, that experience, I think, taught me more than any sort of resume building thing that I could have possibly done when I was in high school. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there, even if the kid doesn't have to work, even if your child is financially in a position that you don't need, that, that he or she doesn't need to make the money to help the family or to buy the gas for the car or whatever, is is there a value to working at that, that after-school weekend job that goes you know, way beyond just the, the money that you end up getting and that may be much more valuable as a life experience to the kid than, hey, I, I've got 12 different things on my college resume, eight of which, eh, you know, I, I did because I was doing them just to get them on my college resume. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And when you think back, if you worked when you were in school, if you think back on, on your work experiences, and I guess my question is, did, did you learn more as an adult, as you grew up? My guess is you remember that work experience and what you took from it in a way that you, you have, you know, being, I don't know, uh, and I, I'm, I'm trying to pick some, you, you know, being, you know, on the audiovisual thing or, or you know, being, you know, an elected member of student council or whatever. And I'm not trying to demean any of those different activities. But, you know, you've got 12 activities, six of which you really don't care about, but you're doing just for the sake of doing them. 855-616-1620. We discuss.
855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, we're we're still well not at historically low um, levels. We're we're at very very low levels compared to past years of, of kids working. You know, um, during during school, during high school, and. One of the things that's going on is a lot of kids are, are in the process of what I call resume burnishing. Here, we want to get into college, so what we're going to do is we're going to do we're going to do nine or ten or twelve extracurricular activities so we can get it on the resume. And my point, and certainly my experience, and it's a point made in this New York Times column I was talking about, is you know, sometimes you know you, you forget the value that, that the best extracurricular might be an after school job 8556161620 let's start with Wally Wally good afternoon hi how are you doing good what do you think yeah i uh, i i couldn't agree with you more i i worked two sentinel routes in the morning before school and then i also worked uh at McDonald's after school, all through high school. And uh, it just teaches you the value of a dollar. My son's 15 years old. He has his temps, and he's going to be getting his driver's license in the next month or two. And he's already been working for approximately the last year, and he's only 15 years old and has $4,000 saved already. And Mm -hmm. that value he's learned the old-fashioned way by saving his money and learning responsibilities. And I just think it goes a long way. Uh, down the road right because he's going to learn how how long and how much he has to work you know and, and, and undoubtedly because this is what happened to me i remember when i first started getting those paychecks i stuff that maybe i would have bought with my allowance i immediately started to think well do i really want this because i know how long i had to work to, to make this money and it just it just helped it really helped me appreciate the value of money uh that's i i also have a nine-year-old daughter and it's funny because we go to antique stores a lot, and when we go into an antique store, and she has some some birthday money in that saved, and when I tell her, uh, yeah, I'll purchase this for ten or twenty or thirty dollars, but you got to pay me when we get home. All of a sudden, uh, everything changes. No, I really don't need it, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. No, no. Thanks for it's it's learning the thanks for calling. It's learning the value of money. Let's talk to Mary in Watoma. Mary or in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about this? Not only does it teach them the value of a dollar, I think it also teaches them, and it taught me, how to work with different type of bosses, how yes. to work within a team, uh, with coworkers. Some are high achievers, some are slackers, and it just teaches the kids that, you know, the world doesn't revolve around them, and if they were to... Uh, you know, just go through high school and then go to through college and then uh, get their degree and think that, you know, the first job, they're going to be the highest paid person in the building and everybody's going to treat them like a king or a queen. You know, they learn you learn that early that, you know, there are some good days, there's some bad days, there's good bosses, there's not so good bosses, there's people who don't like you at work. And you just learn, especially if you're working in retail or in the food yeah. industry, that customers are just a nightmare. And it just learns, they learn how to cope. Yeah. With the difficult people. No, you know, it, it's funny you should say that, Mary, because that, that's, that's one of the things that struck me as, as well. The first thing you said, if you're in a workplace, that, that means that you're going to be working with people who, nece- who aren't necessarily like you. You know, you're, you're going to be working from pe- with people from all different sort of backgrounds and all different 
places in life and stuff, and and you learn a little bit. It is one of those values of of diversity that you get in, in an early on recognizing that hey, it's it's not like you know all the, the people that I'm going to high school with. It's there's there's all sorts of different people, and you, and you got to figure out early on how you're going to get along with them. It's invaluable. I agree. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. Kent in Oconomowoc. Kent, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Happy Monday. Yes, sir. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, that the high school kids working, it, it teaches a few things. Responsibility, uh, camaraderie, teamwork, like your prior caller mentioned. And I think it also teaches time management, which is huge as these kids go on to school. You know, they have to factor in, you know, balancing out that job and the time with all their other responsibilities. In addition, a further comment, uh, I served on a um, scholarship foundation board for many, many years. And when we reviewed the applications and resumes of those high school seniors, those who had some work experience, in addition to everything else favorable, uh, we very much viewed that as a positive. So, yeah, these kids can, they can do it all, including work. Uh, that makes them very much more well-rounded, absolutely. Yeah, you know, interestingly, Kent, the, the other thing, one of the other things that struck me is it, I think everybody should, when they're younger, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with working at, at difficult jobs or jobs that you don't like or whatever because it, 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 it motivates you. I mean, I did a lot of jobs when I was a kid that just convinced me, hey, I want to go to college and I want to go to law school because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be doing this. And, and, and I thought that was very, very instructive to say, boy, this, this is this is my motivation to try to stay in school and do as well as I possibly can and work towards my goals. Because I, 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 I don't know, maybe maybe I would have lost my way along the way if it wasn't for that. Now, nothing comes easy. You have to learn to work hard and balance your time. Nothing comes easy. Work hard for it. Absolutely. Now, thanks for the call. I'm, I'm with you. Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I worked a lot of jobs, you know, through high school, well, actually middle school on up. The biggest thing I learned out of it, I'm not only, you know, the responsibility, the the uh, interaction with others and so on and the teamwork, but the biggest thing I learned was a work ethic. Yes. You know, where now, you know, like now later in life, I know that if I don't show up, yep. I'm not affecting just my paycheck, but I'm affecting other people's attitudes about the job and yep. about me. You know, where you don't want to go to work and find out, yeah, you're the jerk that doesn't show up. Right, right. Or whatever, and, you know, end up with a whole bunch of unneeded animosity towards yourself because you're irresponsible. Yeah, there's, no, thanks, Nicole, you're right. There's an expectation that you know you you have to you have to be there because other people are counting on you. Here's a text, Jeff. I work in healthcare now, and one thing I would re- recommend that I did was I think everyone should have to work at least two months in the service industry. It will give everyone appreciation for respect as well as how to treat others. It'll also give you the skills to deal with difficult customers slash patients. I, I mean, I've I've never worked in the service industry, but I, I understand that that point. Whenever my guess is when whenever you're somewhere, whether it's a restaurant or, or whatever, or you're you're picking up clothes at the dry cleaner and there's that 
guy or gal in front of you that's just carrying on and blowing up and screaming at the person behind the, the counter for stuff that they, they really probably can't control. Like, why did my soup come? Why did we have to wait? Well, okay, the, the waiter or waitress, you know, they're not the one in the kitchen. You know, they're kind of dependent on this. But whenever you, you see that, you always do wonder, man, if this person had worked as a waiter or waitress or if this person had worked behind the counter in a dry cleaning store or or whatever, when stuff happens, you're thinking, would would they would they be reacting? in the same way to the person who's on the other side of of the, the counter. And I, I think you, you do learn empathy in a way as well. I just bring this up because I, I'm, I'm not dismissing academics. Of course, that, that is crucial. And I'm not dismissing extracurricular activities. Like I say, I mean, I, I, I look back to like my, my involvement on speech and debate teams in high school and things like that. And it, it was, it, it was just an important building block to help me develop in my career. At the same time, though, that this idea that you've got to have 10 or 12 things or 15 things on your resume to get into school, into whatever college you want, I don't know that that's true, but I also don't know that if that's, we're going to just do stuff for the sake of doing stuff to get it on the resume, I don't know that that makes you the best person coupled with your ability to deal with life moving forward. This is kind of really a challenge. We, uh, my, my wife, had to, we're, we're, as I've been talking about, assuming that our COVID tests come back negative from this morning, find out about nine o'clock tonight, you know, we're, we're leaving on our, our listener trip tomorrow morning. And my wife, as we were running around, you know, getting the last minute packing done and she was in the process of taking our dog Sasha up to West Bend where she stays with Sister Pat and all that. And for Sasha, it's a great vacation. I, I, I miss her. Sasha's like, oh, I, I get to go hang out with Sister Pat. But my wife appropriately said, okay, the kitchen is closed. This morning, she actually, she made breakfast for me. Love you, dear. So she made breakfast and she said, that's it. No more. We're, I said, we're, we're not... I'm, I'm cleaning out the refrigerator, and it's. I don't want any more dishes being dirtied. Nothing. So th- this is it. So we're we have to figure out something to have for dinner tonight. So we'll, we'll probably go out. You know, Monday nights though, it, there's not much open. It's it's one of the effects I think of the COVID thing. Restaurants that used to be open seven days a week, or that they would close on on Sundays. Well, now I mean Mondays is kind of a dead day. I'm looking at all these different places. Well, let's go here. Oh no, they're closed on Monday. Let's go here. They're closed on Monday. Oh, we will find some place. But my first five or six choices just just closed and i think the reason they would tell you they're closed is not because there's a lack of business but rather they're closed because these places just can't get help to stay open on some of these slower days which is by the way what drove summerfest's decision to only you know run on thursday friday and saturday because um some of the, the slower days people just ended up not going out speaking of of going out if you have driven around southeastern wisconsin you have undoubtedly noticed that this is construction season is just full bull, full bore. I, it seems like everywhere I go, I, I'm watching, you know, stuff is being torn up and the roads are being torn up and they're being replaced. And that, that, that's great. We had the story we talked about at the very start of the program about how you had the wrong way driver who gets on the freeway at National Avenue, 5.30 a.m. Sunday morning, gets on the freeway and goes northbound in the southbound lane for five or so. I mean, got all the way up to Capitol Drive where the driver then 
you know, m- must have blown a turn or something and and drove onto the, this construction where they're reconstructing a bridge that goes over the freeway. And you saw probably the pictures on television about the car that was just kind of like dangling there. But to me, the most the bigger story is you've got this, this idiot who was drunk, who was able to travel six miles Plus, however far it is from National Avenue up to Capitol Drive, the wrong way at 530 in the morning and not kill himself or kill other people. It's just it's just a stone cold miracle. No question about it. But but again, what finally stopped him is he, he drove into road construction and it seems to me wherever we go, we, we drive into road construction. You've got roads that are closed and detours and things of the like. But. The idea is, once this all gets finished, it, it'll be better. You know, you'll have expanded freeways, you'll have, I don't know, safer intersections, all those different things. Which brings me to the one area of the freeway around here that still hasn't been adjusted. We're, we're now, we're, we've, we've taken 41, 43, and, and we've improved it from Milwaukee down to the, the state line. You've had the Marquette Interchange that has been rebuilt. You now have the work that is going on on 43 north of the Marquette Interchange that's going to run all the way up past, you know, Saukville and things like that. You have the Zoo Interchange. Remember, that was the two- or three-year project, and you had that done. The one part of the freeway system that has not yet been upgraded is the stretch, that three- or four-mile stretch, from the Marquette Interchange to the Zoo Interchange, you know, out past American Family Field. And it continues to be a source of great consternation. Tony Evers wants to expand the freeway. Mandela Barnes, his lieutenant governor, who, again, is going to be the U.S. Candidate for Senate, Mandela Barnes is against freeway expansion, along with wanting to abolish ICE and defund the police and do all sorts of other stuff. But he's against the freeway expansion. Matter of fact, that was one of the things that differentiated him from some of the other Democratic candidates. The Milwaukee Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce is pushing very, very hard to take that stretch of freeway that right now is three lanes each way. And there's some different talk about how you can do it without, you know, taking up as much ground as you need on on either side, but essentially expanding it to four lanes. Then you've got the anti-freeway folks who are vigorously arguing about this. Oh, we don't need more space. You, You don't need to have... You don't need to have roads that are more accessible to cars because the argument is we're trying to get people out of those evil polluting cars. So why should we make it easier for them to get to point A and point B? Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, we have we, we've improved the roadways, are in the process of removing, improving the roadways all, all around here. To me, it makes absolutely no sense at all to take that connecting area that hooks up, um, again, I-41 with 43, that hooks up the the zoo interchange to downtown, to do that and to not, not expand that makes no sense to me to allow that to continue to be where it is. It's just... It's a it's a blockade, essentially. And if you've ever been caught in traffic heading out to a Brewers game or coming in from Waukesha to a Brewers game or you're trying to get from downtown out to Pewaukee or vice versa, 
and you've been caught in, in that traffic because there's a collision or the weather's bad or whatever, is there anybody who could seriously argue that we shouldn't have at least another lane of traffic and do the same things that we've done all throughout the rest of the area to improve that stretch of freeway? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Just love this job. Our, our text line is exploding with people who have suggestions as to where you can go to eat on a Monday night. You know, oh, so wing stop. Well, I, I'm not. My wife and I aren't necessarily wing stop people. And some people are suggesting places from all over the area. But, you know, I live in a particular place. I'm, I'm, the idea is we want a quick meal. we got to pack and get ready for my buddy who's going to pick me up and take me to the airport tomorrow morning. I, I'm not going to drive necessarily I don't know, an hour to get to a place and then drive an hour back. So just that frustration that comes with, you know, where do you go to eat on a Monday? And a lot of people correctly pointing out that just for museums and a lot of places, Mondays are no go. We're talking about the freeway and freeway expansion right now. To me, we have to do something. You've had the zoo interchange that's been redone. You have the Marquette interchange that's been redone. You have I-4143 down to the state line. That's been redone. You have the project that's going on now to take I-43 north of downtown all the way up past Sockville. That's being redone. The one area that we have not redone as of yet is that connecting stretch that connects I-494 that connects uh, the Marquette Interchange to the Zoo Interchange. It's the bottleneck of that entire system. The DOT says it's one of the most dangerous stretches of highway that um, you you have. And if you look at some of the on-ramps and, and off-ramps, for example, if you come out of American Family Field, um, and the way, let's say you want to go east on, on 94, you, you're, you're getting on, on the, on the left hand side of the road. It's an incredibly dangerous merge. And I know that because I do it 20, 25 times a year as I go to the Brewers games. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it worth doing that. Jeff, I don't think it's really that big a deal. I drive it every day. I don't think it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars just to knock people's homes down for one extra lane. Well, it's not a question, I guess, of of knocking people's homes down for one extra lane. First of all, it's about improving the grade. Secondly, it's about improving access. And it's not just commuting. I, I understand you can make an argument that we we aren't we don't have as much commuting now one of the effects of the pandemic and it, it's unquestionable is that the way we we go to offices have changed o- over the years you know 5 years ago everybody drove downtown if if you worked downtown you drove downtown and you parked and then you drove back there's a lot of those workers who used to work downtown. Well, now they're working remotely. They're not driving downtown. Um, at least they're not driving downtown every day. And I appreciate that's changing everything when it comes to, uh, again, when it comes to like commuting and, and things like that. But just like, you know, you've got the drivers, the individual cars that are going back, you, you still have, you still got truck traffic. You've got all that stuff. And I think if you talk to a lot of truck drivers, what, what they will tell you is, again, that, that's the bottleneck when you have to get from the Highway 100 area and you've got to get over and you've got to connect. That's, that's an area where they struggle to try to deal with it and they struggle to try to deal with the traffic. So I guess to me, it, it's, it means something, something has to be done from just a, 
the traffic flow perspective and again also that, that safety perspective of you know getting rid of the the left hand exits getting rid of the the left hand on ramps stuff that you just don't do maybe you did it when you devi- designed a freeway you know 40 or 50 or 60 years ago but you don't just don't do it now so that's a decision that's going to have to be made relatively soon and i guess Maybe this is one where it, it'll come up as an issue during the course of the gubernatorial election. Evers is on record for supporting it, and you can mark the tape on this one. This is one of those situations where I think Evers is just absolutely correct. Hey, but before I turn it over to John McCure and before I leave, I did want to make one other observation. This is a very big week when it comes to the location of the Republican National um, Convention. The committee from the Republican National Committee, the RNC, has at least preliminarily voted to send the to send this to, to Milwaukee. And I am on record saying I think it would be just absolutely great for the city. The full decision is supposed to be made at the end of, of this week. Nashville had a snag and Nashville couldn't get their equivalent of their common council. They couldn't get their act together. And so they weren't able to, like, sign off on the stuff that they would need to sign off on to, to make a formal proposal. You know, getting the agreement that said, okay, we're willing to accept this is what we're going to do with security, et cetera, et cetera. Nashville, at least some members, again, of the equivalent of their common council, they call it the Metro Council, they're going to have a meeting tomorrow where there's going to be a last-ditch effort to try to um, revive Nashville's bid for this. And I guess the idea would be if they could somehow get the votes to revive this, then they could go to the Republican National Committee and say, okay, just give us more time. You know, we're going to, we're going to get this done and you don't have to decide this week. You can wait a couple weeks and, and give us a chance to get our act together. So this is a very big week. Now, I am being told that the the problems they had on the Nashville Metro Council not having enough votes to go ahead and do the plan a few weeks ago that that those th- that hasn't gone away that they're still not not support for bring for a variety of reasons which I think are short sighted but that's okay Nashville's loss is Milwaukee's gain I'm being told that there, there's still not enough support on the Metro Council to move this all along which means Milwaukee should probably win by default but. That that's tomorrow. August second is when Nashville gets its last ditch chance to like at least approve the preliminary stuff to keep them in the running. Even if they get it done, that's not a guarantee that the Republican National Committee is going to, to sit back and not go ahead and, and do their designation. But this is a very, very big week for Milwaukee because bringing the Republican National Convention here in August of 2024 would be a very, very big thing for the city. So collectively, all of us need to have our fingers crossed that Nashville doesn't get its act together and that by the end of the week, we're we're celebrating a huge economic windfall that will be coming to the city in 2024.